25 to life. The judge gave me 25 to life. 25 to life. The judge gave me 25 to life. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. 25 to life. No more backward thinking. Time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There is so much hatred, war, and poverty. song huh what a beautiful song that's how i'm gonna start off each show with that with that song right there so it's it that song really depicts the the pain and the sorrow of doing time you know it's a hard thing and it's something you can't even imagine until you're, you're caught up in it. So, with that being said, it's Monday. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. It's gorgeous. And it's a new week. It's time to get back to work. You know, start buckling down. The end of the year is coming. Elections are coming. Change is coming. You know, it's, it's time to... It's time to start making things happen, you know? And no matter where you're at in life... You know, if, if if you want change to occur, you, you just have to do it. You just have to do it. And the trick of it is, is not to overload yourself, you know. If you want to lose weight, if you want to get off drugs, if you want to stop drinking, stop watching porn, whatever it is, whatever vice has got a hold of you and you want that to change, don't overload yourself. Don't say, you know what, I'm going to stop today. Today I'm not going to watch no more porn. Because you're setting yourself up for failure every time. Take baby steps, man. Take small little baby steps. Instead of watching three porn videos today, watch two. Watch two and a half. Just do less of whatever it is today that you did yesterday. And tomorrow, just do a little bit less than what you did today. And as long as you continue on that, you're always gonna come down to zero, man. You're gonna eventually come to a stop. But the most important thing that we have to do before that can even occur is we have to associate these vices that we have 
to the pain that is in our life. And a lot of times we don't do that. We use these vices as escape, so we protect it. As you've been hearing in some of the, the previous messages, you know, the previous recordings. If this is your new show, yeah, please go back and, and listen to some of the other shows so you can actually hear some of the pain in, in these people's lives. So, But it's always associating their drugs to positive, to good, because it gives them an escape. It makes them feel better. Just just whatever excuse that they come up with in order to, to get high, drunk, whatever. So the first step that we have to do is, one, like, these problems that are happening in my life is because of my dependency on X. You have to make that association. Because once that association is made, now you're going to start showing resentment when these when these occurrences start happening in your life you're not going to blame your neighbor you're not going to blame your father you're not going to blame other people now you're going to start blaming it man i did this because i was high i did this because i was drunk that's the bottom line so we have to start making that association that's the first step that has to happen And we just have to do it. You just have to keep doing it each day. You know, discipline moving forward. It's if you want change, you know. And we should always want change. Like each day, we should be striving for change. We should be striving for education, man. And, and pushing forward and just trying to, to better ourselves. Cuss, cuss the person out a little less today. Have a little more positive thoughts today than what you did yesterday do a little more positive things today than what you did yesterday just these small little changes each day each day can add up by the end of the year if you make one positive change a day that's 365 positive changes you've made by the end of the year how many changes could that be in your life and how could that redirect your life so start today. It's Monday, man. What else you got to do? We're sitting in the house with COVID up. We don't have nothing else to do. So just do it. And watch the change occur in your life, I promise you. So, moving forward, I really, really greatly apologize for this video, or for the for the interview, rather. It. I, I did my best to try to clean it up. Of course, I'm no sound expert or anything like that. So please forgive me, and just remember, it's about the message. So just just pay attention to, especially to what Trevor says. Um, I know the sound gets a little distorted towards the end, but it is still a little clear. I, I was in a in a a bass competition, which is known as Slam Fest. You can Google it. I'm sure you you'll see exactly what it is. So it's. And, and of course, uh, you know, we were in the audio section, as luck be have it. And this was really the only time that I could wrestle this woman down because this woman is, is all over the place all the time. She's just wired. And she just goes, 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 goes. And it's very, very hard to get a hold of her. So this was really the only opportunity where I could have 
a good 30 or 45 minutes with her, sort of uninterrupted as much as that could possibly be. But the only interference with that, of course, is it's a, it's a sound show. So there's heavy bass, heavy music in the back. I try to cut all of that down as much as possible. And it does get a little distorted. Now, what I am upset about is I did have an interview with the gentleman. And he's a parent who stopped by as we were setting the, the booth up. And he, he had a conversation with Sam um, for a little while. And as I approached, him and I started talking about his son. I don't know the back history that he had with Sam and, 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 and whatnot, because these are personal conversations, you know, so um, I really didn't want to impede on that. Um, but when him and I started speaking, I was recording at that time. I am upset because this man had some very, very, very important messages to give out as a parent. And I'm going to try to relay these messages as much as possible. Um, and I, and I, forgive me, I do not remember the gentleman's name. So if the gentleman is happens to, to be listening, um, yes, please contact me so so I can inter interview you further because your message is very very important and it needs to be heard. <clears throat> so I, I will paraphrase that message as much as possible. So. From what I gathered, this gentleman's son is incarcerated and he has drug issues. And he's incarcerated because of his drug issues. Now, from what I gathered, he got into some trouble in the, the first time and the father worked vehemently to keep his son's record clean. And I don't know if I said vehemently correct, and I don't give a shit, but you know what I'm trying to say. So, long story short, they kept the son's record clean, and the son continued his behavior and ended up violating probation, I believe, I heard the gentleman say, and ended up going back to jail. And this is this is where he currently is now. So with that summary, the father has been through this system. He understands the ugliness of it. And he understands how his son is not looked upon as a human being with a severe disconnection. He's just looked upon as as product. As as product that has been redirected into a meat facility and shipped out through there until he comes back out with a stamp, which is your conviction and your criminal record. And now you are tracked for the rest of your life as a statistic. Now the, the father understands all of this. Now 
you know, upon speaking with the father and, and he's, you know, he's, he's venting his anger and his frustrations of the system, which of course I know all of these things, you know, um, I asked, I asked the father, what were some of the signs that he, well, before I get into that, you know, I asked the father, like, what happened? What, why did the son turn on him? As, as he can, you know, recollect. So, you know, the father said they went through, again, a nasty divorce. Um, there was separation. Of course, he uh, went into survival mode. And as I've discussed in, in previous shows about emotions and making decisions based upon emotions we're making emotional decisions because we're in survival mode right and when you get into survival mode we kind of get into like a tunnel vision per se to where we're just focused on surviving meanwhile there are kids in the mix that really have no idea what's going on and they're confused right and us as being parents, we want to protect our children. So we think we know what's best for our children. So we just tell them, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're separating. This is the way it's going to be. You're going to just live with me for a little while. Everything will be all right. Go to your room and just play. If you have any problems, come talk to me. And that's pretty much all we're explaining to our children. You know, here and there, some parents may go into a little more detail. Some may, some, some may not. But the point is, is that the children aren't getting the message, right? And it's not making them feel secure. But they do as they, they're, they're told. And as this father said, again, which was so important, man, I hope I, hope I can have this gentleman back on again. He's the type of individual, right? He's my size. He's about 6'2", six 6'3", six you know, 220 pounds. And, and he's, he's a blue-collar citizen, right? Worked all his life, I could tell. He's a hard worker. He's stern. He has, he has values. He has, he has morals for his family, and he wants to run his family the way that he wants to run it, which is, you know, um, we work hard. We believe in God. And we don't cry about things. We man up. We don't show emotions. We're, we're men. We work hard, and just that type of, just that type of of uh, of structure, you know. And that's the same structure I grew up under. So I I understand completely, and I can probably kind of relate to some of the some of the issues that the kid probably had. And what was very important about that was the fact that the message that I wanted to relate to my listeners and to him was like, we have to catch these things beforehand. We have to stay focused. When we, when we know that we're getting into survival mode, like we have to put our children first. The children are the most important, the, your, your mortgage, your car payment, these you know, these things are not more important than your children, but we make them that in our lives because we feel with the, the pressure of, well, if we, if we lose our mortgage, then we lose our house. How can I take care of my child at that time? 
you cannot worry about that right because it only takes it only takes a little bit of a time and care and love to really get a child to truly understand and once that child understands then they can move forward from there the mortgage all of that stuff can wait you can you can figure that out later but right now you i, I you know I have to deal with my children and I have to make sure that my children understand what's going on and what I expect of them now and how things are going to change. These children have to understand all of that. Because as it's been explained to me, once that when 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 trauma occurs, right? If that trauma is not dealt with appropriately, it, it it festers and it just sits there until it's it's visited and it's dealt with. And this could be 30, 40 years down the road. And that's so and that's how sensitive the human psyche is, is that you could be you could be receiving trauma and not even realize that you're receiving trauma. Because it may just be an environment that you just feel is normal because you see it everywhere. But that doesn't mean that you're not, you're not receiving trauma. So when traumatic things happen to us, especially as young kids, right? They will always reside within us until they're visited and they're seeked out and they're understood why this trauma occurred and what was the result of it. So, so until those things are visited and talked about and opened up about, that trauma will always be there and, and it'll walk with you through life and you'll be making decisions based off that trauma that occurred to you that you don't even realize that you're making, man. That's how deep this stuff is. So the parent, again, wasn't even recognizing that his child was going sideways until it was too late. And now, of course, he wishes that he could go back and, and have, have paid more attention. And again, this is why I want to get these messages out and, and, and get to our public, because I know we love our children. No matter what we're doing to our children, I know that we love our children. What I, what I would like to to express and opinionate on, you know, and opine on is the fact that do we really understand what love is? Sure, I say I love my child. And, and I say that with all 100% of my fiber and my being. But that doesn't mean that I know what love is. I will die for my child and, and without, without it, it's instinctual. It wouldn't even be thought. But that doesn't mean I know what love is. So we have to always be in continuous search of what defines love to our spirit. What do we know love to be? Am I imitating what I see on TV as I grew up watching Growing Pains or, or these other soap operas or whatnot? Am I, am I imitating what, I, what I've seen? Am I imitating what I've seen my parents do? And how they interact. So am I defining love from just experiences that I've witnessed? 
for example, if, if my father is in there and he's beating my mother, and then 15 minutes later, I hear him telling her how much he loves her, in my mind, I'm going to conceptualize that love is a man beating me. Again, these are things that we're doing when we're in emotional states and we're not realizing that our children are listening and they're hypersensitive because they understand that there's danger about. So women, if you are in situations like this, especially if you're with men, that, th that these aren't even his children, Women, you have to get your children out of that situation. You have to. If you want to stay in that situation, you have to get your children out of there or you're not a good mother. And don't tell people that you're a good mother because you're not. If you're putting your children in harm's way, and that's psychological harm's way, if you are doing that to your children, you are not a good parent. That's the bottom line. And I hear this all the time. I'm a good parent. I'm a good parent. It, so, if you are in a situation like that, women, you have to figure out how to get out of that situation. You have to. If you have to send your children somewhere, if you have to give your children up to a better home for the, for the future of your bloodline, then that's what you have to do. You just have to man up and make that decision. This ties into what I was talking about in the previous segment about knowing yourself and being okay with yourself. If you want to be if you want to be addicted to whatever it is that you're addicted to in your life and this is what you want to do, then you have to understand that I'm okay with this. This is what I want to do. And I know this is not a lifestyle for a child. So if this is what I want to do, then I have to find an environment for this child to be raised in a positive environment. Because I know this is not a positive lifestyle, and I don't want this lifestyle for nobody else. I just want it for me. And that's cool, because that's life, and you're going to have individuals like that. All I'm asking is that these individuals, like, man up to themselves and just be honest and, and and just be forthright because if you're not and this is just again this is my opinion this is just this is just what makes sense to me because if you're not that way and you're lying to people you want dope nah man I don't do that crap and then as soon as you walk around the corner you fill up your little pipe and 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 hit the shit out of it so if if, if this is what you're doing then you're ashamed of yourself you don't like what you're doing. So then change. Find out what your triggers are. Start questioning yourself. Why am I doing this to myself? Why am I going to dope? Why is it that when somebody asks me a question about money, I run to dope? What? So find out what it is about you that are causing these, these agonizing Damn, man, just these, 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 these addictions, man. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm not separating myself because I have my own addictions. We all have addictions. 
in some way, fashion, or form. There, there is something that you do that you're so selfish about that you will, you'll, you'll put it before anything else. Whatever it is, there is something because we all need escape because that is how much pressure life puts on us. So it's okay. What isn't okay is when we single out one person's addiction, whatever it is, to the next person's addiction and, and then we judge it. Well, I only do this, but this guy's doing this and that shit is fucking weird, right? Because then what, what that causes is that, that that's where the secrecy and the deviancy comes in at. Everybody should be able to just do whatever it is that they do and as long as what you're doing does not inflict upon me, my life, my bloodline, our education, anything of that nature, then that's cool. But see, now I don't raise another argument because everything is becoming so per, per, pervasive, you know, everything is just like... And, and I, these are things that I really don't want to get into because now they become political. But my opinion is sex education should be left out of school. And that should be, again, left up to the parent. That's the parent's responsibility. Because now, when you start teaching sex education in school, it becomes political, right? It has to be uniform. You can't teach separate sex educations in different places, right? So it all has to be uniform. It has to be one uniform message. Now, what is that one uniform message? Okay, now we're getting into, you know, uh, genetics, things of that nature. And a lot of people don't agree with the new genetic science. So again, but who is caught in all the middle of this, man? You know, it is our children. Does, does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Am I crazy? Is it just me? This is why I st I'm doing what I'm doing because I really need to know if it's me. If it's my way of thinking is, is so far-fetched and so out of there and it, it, doesn't even make, it doesn't even make sense and I'm just a lunatic. But I feel like Everything that's going on in America now is because of our children and how we've been raising our children and what we've been doing to our children. I mean, is that absurd to think that? It's 2020, and we're still teaching our children the same crap. And for me, I don't know, but to me, it looks like all that's happening is these kids are growing up more and more pissed off and more and more confused. I can't even believe the stuff that I'm seeing. I really can't. I cannot believe the stuff that I am seeing within our civilization, within our culture. I love it for the most part. I love the expression, right? I love the fact that people feel free that they can express themselves. However, I feel that it's influenced. 
And I feel that these people that are expressing themselves are confused as fuck. That's just me. That's just my opinion. That's just my experience. My knowledge is my experience. I keep saying this. That's all I know. So going back to the parent, right? Now the parent's in a mess. His whole life has been altered. His whole life has been altered. His son's life has been altered for the rest of their lives. When in the very beginning, if this parent had the education and knew himself and understood that he has the ability to go into survival mode or tunnel vision and he was aware of that and he was aware that his children were the most important thing and I'm not blaming him, I'm not judging him we all do this, we all do this this is why I'm saying this is to bring this forward so that those that haven't made that mistake yet can learn and say you know what I need to focus on making sure that my children understand, even if I have to get them help. So, pay attention to your kids, man, and stay on them. Don't worry about them hating you. We're too sensitive, man. Get rid of that sensitivity, man. Get rid of it. I'm very, very, I'm a very sensitive, very sensitive cat. My daughter will tell you, very, very sensitive. But when, it, when, it, when I came down and I started noticing that I was inhibiting her, I had to put my foot down and I had to put a stop to it. And of course there was backlash to it, but I have to stand firm in that because this is what I believe in. I believe in my message. And I believe that because the environment that I, I that that she was she was raised in I believe that she is blinded right now and I have to trust God and I have to trust life because life taught me I just don't want for my child the same barriers and roadblocks and obstacles that I had to go through but sometimes in life I understand individuals learn by feeling more than they they learn by hearing. That's just the way that's just the way that some individuals are, and I understand that. So you know what? I'm, I have to let life teach you the way that it taught me, but I'm still going to apply education to you. I'm still going to give you knowledge. I'm still going to drill things into your head because there will be there, there will come a time. Where after you hear me saying things over and over and over again, and you see them come into fruition, and you're seeing them come live, there's going to be a time where you, one time you're going to stop. And you're going to say, you know what? Man, my dad said this, this happened. He's been right so many times. And you may switch. And that switch may save your life. So I'm always going to put education there. This is my child. We have to work on our children, man. Our children are our number one investment. And in order to work on our children, we have to work on ourselves. And if we're not right, we have to get right. And it all starts with knowing yourself. So 
I'm going to go ahead and, and go into the clip now. Um, the interview with, with Sam, like I say, is clean. Going into, you're going to meet Trevor, and I'm going to have to get Trevor back onto the show at some point. But you're going to go into Trevor, but you can hear what Trevor says, but it does become sort of distorted. Again, I apologize. You may have to adjust your radios. I'm, I'm forewarning you. But please get the message of what Trevor was saying. So until then, enjoy the show. The conversation. Okay. Yeah, thank you. All right, so. Unfortunately, we're in the audio section. I mean, it's good and bad. It's great for us because I get to dance all day and hair bass all day. But then doing a podcast is going to be difficult to hear. Yeah, I but, see. Uh, we're literally right in the middle of the whole audio. And so people are on both sides of this setting up. And uh, did you see all the slam trucks? And yeah, I was seeing all the vehicles when I came in. They're cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of nice vehicles up here. It's a beautiful day. It is, yes. So did you get a chance to, to hear about Mercedes? I, w I did listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what you do, right? Right, absolutely. I, uh, it's hard, though. That's why I like to fo focus on jails and prisons. Um, when I help people that are homeless and in current active addiction, it's much more difficult to change their mindset because they're still surviving and getting high to survive on the street. Where if you focus on uh, jail and prison, for the most part, they're clean and sober, right? So they're more willing to listen and be open to change and look, you know, uh, want to change their mindset because they sit they sit inside long enough they detox themselves you know and then I can put them on track with housing and employment and resources but um because I'm deal I deal with both I a lot of the girls it's difficult because they're still in active addiction I have a girl right now and she's prostituting she's on crack and meth and I have a bed for her waiting, and it's been a week back and forth, back and forth with her. And I've tried to pick her up two times, and both times she didn't show. And then I get a call from her the next day. I can't do this anymore. I need help. I need help. I need help. But then I don't hear from her for three days again. And it's like, it's that up and down, up and down, up and down. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's because they know that they're going to have to be clean when they go with you and they're just not ready yet. They're ready, but they're just not ready. That's it. And being someone who's been there, done that, I wanted to change my life and get clean and sober a year before I actually did it. And what, I mean, what, what got you to that step though? I was tired and it wasn't fun anymore. And the people were jaded and I was getting robbed and the, the street life it, it's like fun in the beginning when you're just trying to figure it out and it's fast and then you think you're cool But at the end of the day, it's short-lived and you're gonna die or go to jail and you're gonna be broke a lot and People you think that trust you they they or people you think you can trust and they're your friends It's so not that it's so very very different, you know, and I joke I say the streets chew me up and spit me out I did not last long out there, you know, because I have a big heart and I would sit in trap houses with girls and I would ask them, as we're all smoking crack together, and I'm like, hey, how'd you end up here? And then we end up having heart to talk hearts, you know? And because none of us wanted to be there. But here we are. So that's what's motivated you to do what you do now. Yes. 
was there something that triggered that initial motivation like something where you just said you know what i'm i'm tired of of, of just sitting back and watching you know and and i've been through this and i know what these people need and i'm just gonna start it i mean how did that occur um when i started teaching inside the jail to celebrate recovery um, the jail and prison ministry, you know, I thought I was helping by going in and they say in the 12 steps, step 12, having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we carry the message to others. That's what we're supposed to do when you're in recovery, whether it be doing service work, coffee, you know, sponsoring someone, going to a meeting, driving someone to a meeting, whatever that service is, well, I'm an overachiever and I have to be, I have to over top with everything I do. It was the same way in my addiction, and I'm the same way in regular life now, you know? And so I went into jail, and I'm teaching, and I thought I was helping, and then the girls kept asking me two same questions over and over. Sam, I want to change my life, but I have nowhere to live when I get out. And when I get out, if I go back to where I just was, I'm going to end up back in jail. Do you have somewhere I can go and live and start over? So that was number one, housing. And then the other question they would ask me at the end of every program, where can I get a job? My record's so messed up. My background's so messed up. I can't even find a job anywhere. I want to get my kid back. I want to do all these things that cost money. I have to satisfy court costs and fines and blah, 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 blah. But no one will hire me. So that's what started Jobs for Felons. That's what put in my mind that I have to do something because no one else is doing anything. And then with the housing, that's when I started, you know, a year ago being very um, aggressive, <laughs> knowing what I have as, a, as far as resources, building my network, bringing people on board that have resources that can help people coming out of jail and prison and homelessness, and then finding people with property so that I can work out and, and work out a deal some type of lease takeover or partnership until I could get the capital up to buy my own properties. So right now I partner with people who own the property outright already and then we work out a deal and that's how I'm able to already have two sober living homes open in another state in three months because I know how to negotiate and partner with people. Right. So how how are you managing these homes? I mean are they full or do you, do you how does that work? How does I the have, whole operation work? Okay, so I'm Mercedes calls you. What happens? So the first thing I do is I do an interview. I find out where that person is at. I find out if they're in active addiction, what their drug of choice is. If it's certain drugs, I can't I can't detox them. People on crack, cocaine, meth, spice, um, fat, or um, anything besides an opioid, I can help them detox. But I cannot detox people off opioids. It's too dangerous for me to bring someone coming off of opioids into a house with other women who are clean and sober. Why? It is. Why though? Because the withdrawal off of opioids gets so consuming. You do need to be in some type of facility where they can watch you 24-7. Because that first seven days, you're not even human. You're sick. It's, it's not a good thing. And I'm not a medical facility, right? So what I do then is, if that's the case, I refer them to a medical detox. And once they complete 7 to 14 days of detox, then I will take them, right? So, but if it's crack, cocaine, meth, anything else besides an opioid, 
I can help them go through that detox just by vitamins, sleep, eating healthy. Really, that's it. Because those drugs are a psychological type of addiction, whereas an opioid, heroin, or pills, or fentanyl, you know, any kind of opioid, your body becomes physically dependent on it, and that's what happens. So it's, you get sick, and I'm not that kind of place. So each house that I have set up, I have someone that lives there on property that manages the day-to-day for me. And then I do all the programs virtually. Um, so right now I travel to Georgia twice a month, but I have someone who, so I have three houses right now on one property. So my my house manager, Sheila, my partner, her and her family live in the main house. And then we have another house that's a three-bed, uh, three-bed, two-and-a-half bath that all the girls live in. So she just walks across the property and checks in on them, and they go and walk across. So she does the day-to-day, and then I handle it remotely. And you've done all of this from addiction yourself. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, that's amazing. So I actually, that's... so God sets his stuff on things, right? Um, I love it. It's been doing podcast. <laughs> it's good. Um, people don't realize, so for the last four years, I started a business. I have a cleaning business, and I got into vacation rentals, and then I started learning marketing, and I started learning real estate and short-term rentals, and I launched, I've launched over 25 short-term rental properties just by partnering with homeowners and investors who own the property. I take it over. I manage it, market, and I have cleaning people that turn do the turnovers, so I do the day-to-day. I expanded in two states with in one year and in four different counties in Florida and then I was running six other houses in Michigan all at the same time. So all I did was take everything I did to scale my business and put it into my nonprofit because a lot of people that I learned, they get into nonprofit but they don't understand business. And I'm a marketing guru. Okay. So, and I know how to network. So I took all the skills and training I've learned and how to scale my business, and then I just put it all into my nonprofit and ministry and helping others that already have nonprofits who don't have the skill sets that I have, right? So I find people who have the jobs and the properties to employ the women on site and run it. And then I do all the fundraising, networking, PR, and counseling. When do you sleep? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Sometimes. Sometimes. You just get it in when it comes in. So, yeah. you know, you have a long day. You just lay down. And a girl calls you. And she's three hours away from you or two hours away from you or whatever. So, what I do is I, I do an interview. And if the girl is ready to come... They can stay where they're at for a couple more days and wait for me to come get them. I've made girls wait for a week where they're at just for them to detox a little bit more and let them show me how bad they want this. Because I don't run just because you call me. Because I've been there too. I know the game. I know the manipulation. I know how to, you know, I know when someone's bullshitting me, basically, right? So I can see through it. I used to be that. So I I will interview them. I'll do a couple phone calls and I'll feel them out. And then I also need to make sure they're going to be a good fit with the the girls that are already there. And then if they're not a good fit for me or they need more help than what I can give, then I just pass them off to someone in my network with all the resources that I have. What about men? Do Do you deal with men? I do. I have people that have transitional living homes 
and that men that run their programs, men that do reentry, and also that's why the reason why uh, partnering with you mm -hmm. is so important for me, so that you can handle that part here locally for me, and then we can grow together. Because my attention right now is all into the women, and for me to get this done right, mm -hmm. I need to stay focused, laser focused on one thing, and then scale it out from there. So the the pilot, the the pilot program I've created, and having these two houses running right now. I'm, I'm doing it very slowly and carefully because I'm doing training manuals and I've created policies and procedures and, and literally a book that I can hand someone and say, you want to recover your life house? Here's the manual how to do it. And then that's how I scale this nationwide. So training staff and what we do with the girls step by step by step. All the way from the time they are done with our program, we already have long-term rental properties also lined up for them to move into. So that's the other thing. So the woman that I partnered with in Georgia, she already has other properties that we're um, remodeling. That's another reason why this fundraiser is so important that I raise a, as much money as possible because there's some like flooring work and some little work that needs to be done in these houses. But as soon as these girls come into their six to eight months being done with us, we'll be able to put them right into their own home. No background checks. They're already going to be employed and we're going to be their landlord. Yes, and that's where our partnership comes in because we're going to be doing the same thing for felons coming out of prison. Exactly. You know? And I and I need you to help me focus on the men because I've got jobs lined up and focusing on the women, right? But your, your piece, that's why working with you is so important for me um, because you're really focused on the employment piece. Right. And without that, like I've been saying, anytime I get in front of anyone, if we don't know how to make money, we are going to go back to that life. It's survival, it's no matter it, yeah. how you look at it. Yeah. It's human nature, we have to eat. We need clothes, we need shelter, we need hygiene. And and then how, how can you get a job if you don't have an address? Right. So you, you can't do one without the other, and then to just try to say someone's rehabilitated because you got them off drugs and they're clean and sober, that's just one tiny piece. One of the biggest issues that I'm seeing right now when people are reaching out to me are, that they're coming home and because of COVID they're unable to really get into a DMV for a month or two and they're only getting uh, prison release IDs. Yeah. So they can't open a bank account. They yep. can't they can't do anything until they're they able to can't even apply for a job. Can't even apply for a job and they're two months backlog yeah. to even get in to get an ID. So and how do you expect them to eat? Right. Exactly. Where do you think they're living? That's why the homeless problem is out of control. That's why you look at Pasco County and, and our streets are flooded with people with suitcases because they have nowhere to go. Pasco County is bad. And this is the county that I grew up in. And, and I've watched it just deteriorate. And, and opioids are the biggest thing out of Pasco oh, yeah. County, right? These, I mean, the or doctors, is it just everything? The opioids, the heroin, and then what happens is now meth is huge as well. And when you don't have enough money to get the opioid, heroin, or pills, then you go to get meth because it's cheaper. And then you end up having psychotic breaks because you stay up for days and days at a time. And then when you can't get meth, now everyone's on spice. And they're just buying that over the counter. I literally was helping a girl. She relapsed. She's back on the streets homeless again. I, I got her as soon as she came out of jail, put her in sober living. She stayed clean for four weeks. Same as what you just said. Sober living got shut down during COVID. They sent her out early. She didn't finish her six months. She was only there for four months. And as soon as they let her out, within like within four, within four days, she relapsed. And now she's walking around Pasco County smoking spice out of receipt paper. 
Receipt paper. Receipt paper. I'm like, why is your cough so bad, Char? And they all hang out behind the stores and they in the banks, and they, that's why you see them on, you know, under trees because the cops run them off from most public places. They get trespassed, so they just congregate wherever they can. Pick so, up receipt papers off the ground. So yeah, so it's because spice you can buy over the counter, right? Right, and it's crazy. You don't even know what's in it. It's the most awful stuff, and. They can't afford paper, right? So they'll go, I'll go pitch in on a bag of spice. They get a bag of spice and then they find receipt paper off the ground. They roll it up and smoke it out of that. Now for my listeners, spice, if you don't know, is K2. Um, It's synthetic marijuana. Now my understanding of how this is made is they'll take uh, any sort of uh, smokable ground substance, maybe oregano or uh, what do that? What is the actual incense? incense. There they you go. That's incense. the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So incense, and they'll take this chemical, they'll fill right. the bathtub up filled with incense, and they'll take the synthetic chemical and spray and soak the incense with it, let it dry, and then that's your spice. So these chemicals are being made in 50-gallon drums in the back of woods somewhere, you know, and. and this is what we're ingesting on top of receipt paper. Correct. And this is Pasco yes, County. That, and that was one of my girls. Like, and, and I can only do so much. I mean, I even brought, I've brought these girls out of trap houses. I've had them escape their trafficker and tell them they're taking a date. Meet me down the road. I'll bring them to my house. I'll feed them, let them shower, get something to eat, try to reason with them. But that's what I'm saying. When they're when they're in that psychotic state of mind, it's so hard to reach them, you know, because all they're thinking about is I got to get high again. I got to get high again. They're not. You can't. It's it's so difficult. So that's why if you're, if I'm dealing with a girl who's homeless, I do like three call phone calls with them. I make them wait two or three weeks. I have. I made a girl wait for me in Jacksonville for three weeks because I wanted to make sure she was ready. How did she turn out? She's still in my house. She's been there for uh, three and a half weeks. She's got a full-time job. She's talking to her kids again. The other girl I got, she was her mother sold her into trafficking at the age of 14 years old. Her mother? Her mother. Her mother's sold her into dead. trafficking. Her mother's dead now of a drug overdose, but she sold her 14-year-old daughter for crack cocaine. Was this in Pasco? Yes. And she, this this woman is amazing. She's been at my house. She's now our house mom. She's the pure house mom. She's been there for over two months. She's got her, uh, she's been working full time. Um, she's making strides, she's clean and sober. I mean, these are hardcore girls. She literally was living under a bridge in Newport Richie and, and escaped to Tennessee. And I drove to Tennessee to go pick her up. And I brought her back to my house. Not my personal house, but my, my house in Georgia. You hear this, America? And this isn't just Pasco County. This is almost every community, every suburb is, is opioids moving in, heroin moving in. These, these things are moving into our communities. I mean, it's, and, and what do you do? Right. What do you do? And it's almost like the, the, the sheriff department and, and, and these organizations, it's almost like they become so overwhelmed, they don't know what to do, and it's almost like they just give in. They... I've said it all along, the government and government agencies rely on nonprofit organizations to clean up their messes. Because without people in ministry, my, uh, my partner, Miss Lisa, she owns the uh, only homeless shelter in Pasco County that will take man, woman, or child, no questions asked, any day, any time. 
She's my partner for Recover Your Life. How many beds does she have? She has a whole a motel that she's converted with three three places on property. She can house up to 40 people. Uh, and is she full? Uh, yes, and she takes men coming out of prison, and that's where I teach on Monday nights. But let's, I got to finish setting up our booth yep. um, with that said. And um, I had I have Narcan, so that's that's the only thing that will save a person's life. I was Narcan back to life in my house um, eight years ago. I overdosed on opioids prescribed by my doctor after a knee surgery. And uh, I have Narcan at our booth today. So I got to get this set up. We got a ball we're raffling off that the Harlem Globetrotter uh, Hall of Famer, best ball handler ever, Larry Gator Rivers, um, has autographed. He is a big, big supporter, along with all of the uh, legendary Harlem Globetrotters, and helping me get Recover Your Life where it is now. They're the ones who brought me to Georgia and brought me into their network. They're honoring me next week at, uh, at Jesse Jackson's birthday in Atlanta. And uh, without them, I couldn't do this. Yeah, you know, awesome. they just heard my story, and I said it. You know, I kept pitching over and over during COVID while everybody else was shut down. Me and my mentor were doing Zoom calls three times a week and in front of anyone we could get in front of. Who else, who would listen? And I ended up in front of the Globetrotters. And they heard my story, where I come from and what I'm doing. And now they're all behind this girl. That's, all, that's, that's awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome. So let's go on. Let's go. So thank you. Yeah. I don't know how loud it's going to be, but. We'll work with it and see what we got. Well, speaking over there, it's going to be louder, but yeah. i got to get my booth set up. No, we'll set it up, see what we got. So what, what are you hoping to achieve today? My goal is that we can raise $10,000 in the next two days. And that may be uh, a little overzealous, but we'll see. But I'm selling merchandise. Hive Outdoor Living has sponsored my booth. I'm gonna be, they're donating 20% of all the sales of the merchandise they are letting me sell today to our nonprofit. And then we're doing raffle tickets to uh, raise money by the autograph ball that Larry Gator Rivers signed. And then, of course, taking regular donations. But I have like four different products that I'm also selling, right? So we have some no cheat goggles, um, which is one of my businesses, and that actually helps employ the women in my houses. They do marketing. I'm teaching them how to do marketing for my company. So I'm teaching uh, one of the girls that live in the house how to do my marketing for the no cheat goggles. So just by people buying that is also supporting felons and people coming out of jail and prison because these are the jobs I'm giving them, right, to help me market for these products. Um, and then I have some towels I'm selling and some shirts and hats and cups. But that's what we're doing today. And I have some flyers and we're really just getting the word out. Trevor, who's the one who got me in all of, into this, he's entering, he, he got the tailgate of his truck wrapped with the Recover Your Life logo. So now we have a Recover Your Life truck that's going to be driving around Pasco. And then he's got a couple dents on the truck. So what we're doing is we're going to use paint and I'm going to paint over the dents with different emotions that trip us up in life. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to be going around his truck with uh, the same colors as a Recover Your Life logos. We're sanding it down. We're painting in acrylic like you have a bump. And what are some emotions that trip us up, right? Anger, resentment, shame, uh, grief, yeah. um, ego, jealousy. pride, jealousy. Yeah. You know, these are all things that trip us up. And, and it all revolves around ego. Pride and ego. Right. 
right? So um, it's going to be really cool because a lot of the, most every vehicle here is really pretty and fancy, custom paint job and tricked out. We just got a truck that's really loud with some dings on it. And we want to reach people in a way that they've probably never been reached before. This is an event that's known for partying. And um, I mean, I have my mug shots here on this sign. Yep. So people are like, what is going on over here? You know, um, just to get some attention and awareness. And uh, yeah, so what I'll do is after we set up and whatnot, I'll take a picture of what you got and then I'll put it on our site. Yeah. You know, and, and show. Awesome. So, let's get to it. Let's get to it. So Trevor, right? Yes, sir. So I'm doing, I'm, I'm on a podcast. I'm podcasting Samantha and what she does, all of that, you know? Right. How long have you, how long have you known Sam? I've known Sam since, uh, I'd say about just before Christmas, maybe. Yeah. How'd you guys hook up? I actually started going to celebrate recovery. Celebrate what? Celebrate recovery. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm here at Titan Counseling, get your griefs out, let go of hurts, habits, hang-ups. Um, it's a good way to release. You know, it's not psychology, it's not psychiatry. It's, we get to vent out, we get to release things. And, uh, I'm here, I'm here, bang. So you're not, you know, when you think you're the only person that's done the worst thing in the world, you go to, you go to celebrate recovery, you find out. You're not the only person that's done this. Whether it's adultery, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's this, that, and the other thing. You find out that there are people just like you out there that may have done worse than you think you have. And How do you reach those people? Like those people that, that they want to commit, but yet they're scared to let go. You just keep supporting them. You just keep telling them, hey, you can do this when you're ready. You can't force anything on anybody. I made a big mistake. Well, I wouldn't call it a mistake. I made an effort last year to help a young woman out. And uh, unfortunately, you know, she did go to rehab, and unfortunately she wasn't ready to commit. Uh, I went in debt because of it, and that was my choice. Uh, I did it out of love. I did it because uh, love of humanity, love for her. She's genuinely a good person, but when you have an addiction like she's got with opiates, opioids, uh, alcohol, anything like that, it controls you. 
it's kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger and yeah. strength. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Same idea. That's master of puppets. Yep. Right, that's what addiction is. Yep. The master of puppets. Um, and and I, I was at rock bottom, and the only thing I had left was to go check out Celebrate Recovery that I kept being told about and I wasn't ready to commit to. I finally said, you know what, I got to do something. And I went. I went to church, and Sam walked up to me. Uh, what was it? What was your final stroke, brother? Where you just said, you know what? I'm doing it. and everything. It's a hard I mean, thing. And that's, it is. And that's what it takes sometimes. It takes to hit. I have a saying. I, I, I follow a saying that my, my father used to tell me. Sometimes you got to hit the bottom of the pit before you can climb to the top of the mountain. And uh, I, I hit the sharp edge at the bottom of the pit. And uh, I lost everything. I lost my kids. I lost my wife. Uh, the work I was doing, I just didn't. I wasn't there. And I finally said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I got two little girls. I gotta, I gotta show that the world is a good place. I got, uh, they got a good mother. I gotta apologize to. Uh, there's just people out there that need help, and that's what I'm here for. I believe wholeheartedly God put me here to help people, just like Sam. And I had to go through all the trials, tribulations, tests, addictions. I mean, I was a drug addict 20 years ago. Yeah. I've been sober 20 years off of narcotics. Congratulations. So, I know you. that's a hard, hard thing. It was real hard. It's really hard. Even day, and even today. So how do you get by on those days? Like those days that you used to, when life was just too much and you just went to go. What was your poison? I did a lot of hallucinogens, pills. Uh, and these were your, this was your escape. This is my escape. So on these days today, when you want to escape, what have you done to replace that? Looking at it. I do things like this. This is my hobby. It's an expensive hobby, just like drugs, but with this, I have something to show for it. I have my blood, sweat, and tears in this. I have literally caught myself a hundred million times doing these songs in here. I've worked at Stereo Shops. I've done games in here around. You have your own shop. Is this I your own not, thing? I do not. I would not do this professionally because I don't lose your love for it. I was, in, uh, I was in the kitchen for 10 years. By the time I was 20 years old, I was running my second kitchen. Yeah. Uh, but I loved it. I lost the passion. And so I got out of it. And if I get back into a shop with this, I'll lose the passion. Yeah. And I don't want to lose that passion. This is my way of coming up to somebody like you and saying, hey, look. I'm not the brightest guy in the world, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but if I can do this, you can take that first step to recover your life. Put your feet back on the ground, you can put it back up that mountain. God is waiting for you, and life is waiting for you. And then that is how I reach my feet. And how I brought Sam here. This is a genre she didn't think of. My bad, bro. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. We're okay. We accidentally knocked the, the microphone out. Go ahead. <laughs> but it, this is my way of reaching out. This crowd, uh -huh. they party hard. When they're done here, they're going to go to their, their hotels, their nightclubs, whatever. They're going to get wasted. Drugs, alcohol, whatever. This is my way of coming up and saying, hey, look, I'm not the loudest guy here music-wise, but I will be heard. You know, and like I told Sam, I will be heard among, amongst the noise of life. 
one way or another. I got listeners. You're being heard right now, brother. Exactly. You see? You know, it's one, one person, one step, and that's what it is, one person. Explain what this is to my listeners. What What is this? This is a 2014 Tacoma. I have named the Scarcoma. Okay. And I'm Scarcoma. Scar, Scarcoma. Ah, Scarcoma. Okay. Scar. Yeah, Scar. Okay. Um, and I have on the front windshield, we all bear stars. Uh-huh. Okay, and I spelled it B-A-R-E as you make it in front of God. Yeah. You have to be naked in order to want to succeed. you got to be forward, truthful. So I did that. I, I, I mean, I have a fourth order band pass, which is what they call a wave pass enclosure. It's meant to sound good, not to be loud. I have, For those that don't know what that is, we're talking about a, a stereo system. Yeah, a stereo system, I'm sorry. Uh, a vehicle audio system. I have two amplifiers, one for my highs, which is all the crisp, clear noise you hear, and one just for the subs. Uh, I have crossovers running to my speakers so they don't go boom the wrong way. <laughs> um, I mean, really, that's really it. It's just it's good, clean, quality music that's not going to bleed your eardrums. Yeah. Uh, Oh, that's awesome, man, and it's clean. This is professional work. It is, and like I said, I worked in a shop for a few years, and that's where I learned everything. I sweat my butt off for pennies on the dollar to learn what I know. I mean, everything in here I put in, I built, I've installed. So would you say the key to success is hard work? The key to success is accepting yourself as the beginning. Uh, Accepting for who you are, that's the beginning of a successful career, a successful marriage, successful friendship, successful life, whatever. It all starts inside. If I didn't have the confidence to do this, I wouldn't have done it. I messed up a lot when I was building my first vehicle 12 years ago. I messed up a lot. Wires were wrong, fuses were wrong, amps were wrong. But through that error and failure, I picked myself up, brushed myself off, and went right back at it again. I didn't quit because I believed in myself. I knew I could do it, no matter what anybody else did. You know, you're a soldier, right? I am a soldier. You know, I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier for God. I'm a soldier for my children. I'm a soldier for Sam. I'm a soldier for the person that comes up to me and says, I need help. What can you do for me? person that does it. I have a friend of mine, I call him a brother, I've known him over 20 years. And this year he amazed me. Last week he shocked me. He looked at me, he goes, I'm ready to start giving. I'm ready to start giving back. I'm ready to start healing. And then I cried. And I had no problem crying in front of a bunch of drunk bar people. And, uh, and I'm that person. And he knew that. He's finally, he finally accepted his right to the core, right to his soul. I mean, he is a beautiful person inside and out. But when he came up to me, he said that I broke down. And I looked at him and I said, I love you, brother. I am here for you every step of the way. Some people don't understand. You know, when I when I called Trevor a soldier, you know, the, the battle that he had to fight is a, it is a, down, a downright war. And it, it never ends. You know, you know, Trevor will battle this I mean, you'll every battle this day, day, every minute, whatever you have. Right now, right here, I would kill for a drink. I was an alcoholic, bro. On the point I was 13, until about 23. 
when I was in the kitchen. I was in there at 5 in the morning till 2 in the morning. I had to make sure all my shipping, my paperwork, everything was done. By the time 10 a.m. rolled around, I was drunk until 2 in the morning. And then I would pass out wherever I was. Yeah, we can get in the truck if you want to be quiet. Yeah, uh, it's okay. okay. We'll be back. So again, I apologize for the sound. Um, I'm doing everything that I can do to try to to clear the, the the messages up as they come. You know, I'm meeting these people just randomly, um, so it's in any given environment. But to me, the most important thing is the message. You know, the, every the, these people have very very strong messages that we have to pay attention to. So that's what I'm trying to bring to the table. I'm gonna leave you with Sam walking me to the vehicle. Um, please pay attention to what she says because she does drop a, a snippet of her of her childhood. And as this continues and we progress forward, you're going to see that a lot of what these people say have similar childhood, you know, um, myself included. So Again, this is the message that I hope that we can learn from. So if we have young children that we're bringing up, we can, we can store this in our memory banks and remember. So when a time comes forward, something might trigger us at that point to say, you know what? I'm spending a lot of time stressing and worrying about, you know, uh, whatever it is. And I'm, I know that my child is confused right now. So that's what it's about. So I'm going to leave you with that. Let me leave you, um, let me say this. The entry for the next clip is, is a hard entry. I, I try to dull it down as much as possible. So just lower your volume down and, and then just adjust accordingly. So I did want to give you that warning so you don't blow no eardrums or nothing like that. I don't want no pissed off listeners to me. So I'm trying to take care of y'all so we can all grow. I love y'all. Wear your mask.
this is, you know, this is, I'm excited that, we are, you know, we've only been here set up an hour, and we already had a parent, you know, because that's the thing, like, people, people think, oh, well, for every addict, you know, imagine the whole family that's being affected, you know, everyone's affected, you either know somebody in your family, or someone's OD'd, or someone got caught up with stupid charges, and now their life's a mess, like, everybody can relate. Yeah, and the thing of it is, like the gentleman was saying, you know, you have a lot of parents that feel guilty for one, right? right. They feel guilty, and they're they're quiet because they don't want to to say anything because one, it'll look bad on them. It'll it'll make they're them look like yes. they're embarrassed. That's that was my family, my my mother. She... So it sweep everything under the rug, but yes. yet the addiction keeps keeps growing. Let's just. And, and that was the thing, like my family was the biggest problem and they just kept cleaning up my messes for me and didn't want anyone to know and you know, the next thing you know, I was found dead in my closet and and it was no surprise, but no one knew what to do, you know? And then they trusted the doctors and the doctors are what were over-prescribing me. So, I feel bad for parents. So I watch my teenager like a hawk and I tell him everything. My, te my teenager knows everything. He was with me to pick that sign up with my mug shots. He knows everything about me. And all I can hope is that he doesn't repeat the same mistakes, you know? I think that's important. I think that's important to share with our children our trials and tribulations so they can understand and they can grow. And I think as a parent, we get into a position to where, well, I don't want my kid to look at me this way or I don't want my kid to see that I was doing these things because he'll want to go out and do it. Right. I don't think that's the issue. And no. I think especially today, kids are smart enough to make their own decisions at a pretty young age. And what we're hiding from them, they're finding online anyhow. Exactly. You know, so it's just be open with our children. Hey, this is what I was doing. This is who I was. And I changed and this is how I changed. And I'm telling you this so you never have to even go into that. Yep. You know. That's it. You know, he's almost he's going to be 17 in a few weeks and my biggest fear is he turns out like me, you know, but I mean, I'm okay today, but I mean, it took me 38 years to finally get it right and I don't want him to have to suffer and no parent does. We always want our kids to learn from our mistakes, but if my kid doesn't know my mistakes, how can he learn? Right, that's exactly right. So, that's, he knows everything. That's exactly right. And then see and our children could be out there making life decisions that because we're embarrassed or ashamed, we haven't educated it on this, and, and they're making their own uneducated decisions that we could have just simply shared with them and they would have had the tools to make the right choice. That's right. You know, so man, I thank you, man. So how can anybody, any, any one of my listeners, how can they get a hold of you if they have a dire emergency or they just want to reach out for more information? So the best thing to do if you uh, need help or you would like to help us either way, Go to our website, www.recoveryourlifeservices.com. 
recoveryourlifeservices.com. You can message me directly through the chat on the website. You can also look and see what different uh, services we offer. And then if you would like to volunteer, or you can, uh, you can also message me through the website. But if you would like to donate to our 501c3, all donations are tax exempt. You can also do that directly from the website. And if you have uh, physical donations, clothing, hygiene products, things like that, just reach out to me as well, and then I'll coordinate a pickup. Thank you. Absolutely. So I'm going to leave it here. Enjoy. Be safe. Wear your mask. I'm outside. Yeah, I know. I hear you. <laughs>